Living a plant-based lifestyle is a challenge for many vegans, vegetarians, and aspiring flexitarians. It can be a roller coaster ride of enjoyment, ailment, exploration, and isolation. Here at Plant-Based and Healthy, we make it easy to be a part of the plant-based community by having plant-based practitioners, experts, and advocates share their journeys and lessons learned so you can enjoy being plant-based and stay healthy too. And now here's your host, Dr. Travis Cox. Welcome back listeners to another episode of Plant-Based and Healthy. On today's episode, I'll be talking about plant proteins. It's interesting because the first question I get asked when someone finds out I'm vegan is, where do you get your protein from? And of course, this is based on the misinformation from the blogosphere, social media, Dr. Google, and other fake news sources. And you know, this kind of question shouldn't even be asked because plants are rich in protein and can be more than adequate in covering your bases when it comes to this macronutrient. So keep listening because in today's episode, we're going to be debunking the seven myths of the plant protein problem and talk about what to do about it. So getting a protein on a plant-based diet is not as hard as it sounds. It's common misinformation from fake news sources like Dr. Google, social media influencers, and bloggers that plants are low in protein and therefore you need to eat meat. That couldn't be farther from the truth. So the real question isn't, or shouldn't be, whether plant foods perfectly mimic animal food amino acids and their protein content, but whether a diet with a variety of plant foods can meet your daily protein needs. And the answer is simply, it can, without a shadow of a doubt. The only catch is that it takes a little bit of planning to cover all of your bases. Devising a well-planned, whole food-based plant diet can definitely cover those bases, and making sure that you include things like whole grains, fruits, veggies, legumes or pulses, nuts and seeds, and of course, some of the more important superfoods, which we'll get to later. But don't get me wrong, meatless in the wrong way or poorly planned way can be unhealthy too. And we'll talk about how to avoid those pitfalls later in the episode. But first, let's debunk some of the most common misconceptions and myths of plant protein problem and what to consider if you're just starting out on the plant-based journey. Myth number one, you need meat to be healthy. Again, this isn't true. Um, This is based on the concepts of those individuals Supporting the idea of meat being an essential food staple in your diet is based around the concepts of animal protein or animal food protein involving nutrients like B12, zinc, iron, omega-3 fatty acids in certain types of meat, as well as things like B6, etc. But you can get those from plant sources too. It just takes a little more planning when you're eating those foods And again, that's why we're talking about it in today's episode. So for example, if you're concerned about vitamins like B6, you can get that from peanuts, soy, wheat germ, oats, bananas. So not essential to get it from meat. As far as omega-3 fatty acids go, you can get those in abundant uh, sources such as chia seeds, walnuts, flax seeds, and even supplementing with microalgae. And last but not least, 
B12. That is the exception. You absolutely do need to supplement with B12 because there's not a lot of plant sources that have sufficient amounts of B12. So that's the one exception. You're right. B12, which is abundant in meat, especially red meat, is not commonly found in the plant kingdom. Therefore, you do need to supplement with it. But as long as you supplement with it, which is pretty easy to do, you have that base covered, no problem. So myth number one, you need meat. False. You don't need meat. You just need to plan on how to get your essential amino acids, protein, and other essential nutrients in a variety of whole foods in the plant-based diet. Myth number two, plant proteins are a poor source of complete proteins and essential amino acids. This myth is also false. And interestingly, there's a bit of detail that's missing in the explanation. So let's dive right in. First, let's just go over the basics of protein. So protein is a required macronutrient that you need in order to build and maintain muscles, bones, and feed your immune system. And in fact, every cell in your body needs protein in order to operate their myriad of enzymes and other primary functions. But not all protein that we eat even comes from meat. Think about it for a minute. Where do you think the protein in animals comes from? Well, of course, most mammals that are made up of protein, at least in the animal kingdom, are not at the top of the food chain. They are actually ruminants, and they need to eat plants to get their daily caloric intake. And plants are rich in protein, and that's how they can be combining together to make the protein in the muscles of these animals. But either way, protein content in meat is more concentrated than the protein-rich plants, but meat is also missing some key antioxidant-rich phytonutrients and most of all, fiber. But either way, plant foods contain a substantial amounts of protein and with, again, proper planning, you can get all the adequate daily protein you need as well as those essential amino acids. So let's talk more about those essential amino acids. There's nine essential amino acids, which are building blocks of proteins that your body cannot make and therefore requires from your diet. Now, these essential amino acid ratios of plants are definitely different than those of meat. And some plant sources of protein are higher and you know more, quote unquote, complete than others. Complete meaning all the essential amino acids are in that one source of protein. And plant foods that don't include all the essential amino acids are dubbed incomplete proteins. This is where the planning comes in when eating a plant-based diet. So knowing which plants have complete proteins and how to combine incomplete proteins in order to, you know, equivalently or effectively make them complete is baseline essential. So if you don't know already, legumes are really, really potent protein powerhouses. In fact, soy is the only legume that is a complete protein. But it's not entirely accurate to state that other legumes are incomplete as they do contain all the essential amino acids, but have at least one amino acid that they're relatively low in. As a general rule of thumb, legumes are rich in lysine, but poor in methionine, both of which are essential amino acids. Grains, on the other hand, are strong in methionine, but low in lysine. Get the picture? So when these two types of plants are considered uh, together, they're called complementary proteins, and together, they're equivalent to being complete. And they don't always have to be combined in the same meal to be considered complementary, covering each other's you know, weaknesses of amino acid profile. 
but they can be eaten in the same day or, you know, within a 24-hour period to kind of offset what the other protein source is lacking. So it comes as no surprise that various cultures around the world have, you know, combined these two complementary proteins as a part of their traditional diets, like corn and beans in the Americas and rice and beans in Asia, etc. Myth number three. It's too difficult to get enough protein without eating meat. Okay, like I said already, animal-based proteins are complete, and there's only a couple examples of how to get complete proteins from plants, like we mentioned the complementary proteins as well as soy. But essential amino acids, there's nine of them, and you can get them in a very like diverse way. Uh, for example, we talked about soybeans being complete, but there's also things like quinoa and buckwheat, which are complete proteins. And if you get certain nuts and seeds with legumes and some of these whole grains, you're covering all of your bases. So it's not exclusive to only beans or only nuts or only seeds or only whole grains. They're all up for grabs. So there's many different options you can have in a plant-based diet that provide you adequate protein sources. So there's no or should be no concern around getting adequate protein when you're eating a plant-based diet. And if you're wondering if it's too difficult to get enough protein on a plant-based diet, well, what's enough protein? You just have to do the math. So there's a quick formula you can use to figure out how many grams of protein you need on a daily basis. Now, I'm going to use a metric that's really basic. It's just meant for healthy adults, uh, not looking at uh, elderly population or any kind of bodybuilder or, you know, particular subtype or group of people that require more protein intake. But the, the number is basically use the number 0.36 times the pounds of body weight you have. And that should be approximate to the number of grams you need for protein on a daily basis. So for example, if you're 150 pounds, multiply that by 0.36 and you get 54 grams of protein as your general guideline for what you need for on a daily basis. Now again, your activity levels, your age, your health status could influence this. So you might need to bump that number up. That 0.36 maybe needs to go up to 0.5. Myth number three. You need to eat a lot of fake meats or mystery meats in order to get enough protein. Okay, so this one gets a little complicated. When you're eating at home and you have time to properly plan your meals and, of course, cook them, you can eat whole food. When I say whole food, I mean foods minimally processed, things like legumes, nuts, seeds, whole grains, vegetables, fruit. All of those are categorized as whole foods which are the healthiest because you don't want to process them as much as you can because that will affect their nutrient content, whether there's phytonutrients like antioxidants or vitamins and minerals, or if there's those you know different essential amino acids that can be broken down and create byproducts that can become unhealthy. Either way, when you're eating out on the go or you don't have the time to properly prepare a meal, you might reach for those uh, meat substitutes, things like the Impossible Burgers, the Beyond Meat Burgers, or their varieties of sausages or breakfast links or, you know, ground meat, etc. But there's other things too, like 
you know, there's the plant-based turkey or chicken tender equivalent. Um, there's Amy's Kitchen that, you know, they, of course, have a lot of meat substitutes like burgers and chicken tenders and other meat substitutes. Um, there's a lot of variety out there. There's even, you know, broccoli crumble, collie crumble, um, things like boca meat. All of these are, I would say, used in moderation in order to get substantial protein in a meal that you don't have enough time to properly plan or prepare. But that's not going to be a concern if you do it on the occasion rather than all the time. So for, as far as, you know, having to eat a lot of mystery meat substitutes, that's up to you. It's not mandatory, but definitely is an option to cover your bases for protein when in a pinch, but not as a general rule. And if you do, there are some downsides for sure. Myth number four, that going without meat from animals is going to cause iron deficiency anemia. Okay, so red meat and other types of animal-based meat do contain a high level of heme-based iron, but heme-based iron is not essential. Non-heme-based iron, which is plentiful in plants, in particular the green leafy vegetable varieties like kale, spinach, collard greens, etc., that's as equally fair game for getting adequate protein, or pardon me, adequate iron in your diet. And in fact, you might not absorb it as well as heme-based iron, but you just have to make sure that you can make it available by, if you do ingest the raw variety of those green leafy vegetables I mentioned, some of those minerals like iron are going to be bound up with some oxalates, which are going to be preventing it from being absorbed. So it's best to cook those green leafy vegetables, like steaming it, not pan frying it, uh, in effort to decouple the oxalates from the iron. And that allows you to absorb these minerals more easily. But keep in mind, with iron, there's ways to enhance absorption too beyond cooking out some of those other nutrients or anti-nutrients, if you want to call them that, like oxalates that bind up with the minerals like iron. Uh, and there's different ways to enhance it, like avoiding uh, coffee or tea. That can actually prevent you from absorbing iron properly. Or if you want to take some foods rich in vitamin C or even supplement with some vitamin C, and yes, chewables count, uh, then that will help you absorb more of the iron. But just for a rule of thumb, again, not knowing if you're iron deficient, you best are best served by checking with your healthcare provider to see what your blood levels are of those biomarkers for iron-related anemia, um, and also know what your daily requirements are. For healthy adult women, they need 14.8 milligrams of iron a day. So not that much, but a little bit more than men. Healthy adult men need about 8.7 milligrams of non-heme iron in their diet to get sufficient amounts, unless you have iron deficiency anemia, which is not likely if you eat in a whole food plant-based way that's well-planned. But if you're not sure, check with your healthcare provider to double check your blood markers for that possible scenario. And otherwise, if you cover your bases by checking your labs and watching your diet and making sure you get enough non-heme iron sources in your diet, you should be all good. It's not a major concern and not automatic if you're on a plant-based diet. Myth number five, it's hard to build muscle and maintain muscle mass when you're on a plant-based diet. 
Now, this is a sort of a spinoff myth related to it's hard to get enough protein on a plant-based diet and you have to eat meat to maintain muscle mass on a plant-based diet. So let me remind you, uh, a well-planned diet of any sorts, whether it's plant-based or otherwise, needs to incorporate the calculation of how many grams of protein is a sufficient amount. So we use that metric, the 0.36 grams times your body weight in pounds to get to that number, that magic number of how many grams of protein you need every day. But let's say you are uh, weight training and you want to build muscle mass. You can bump that metric, that number up to 0.5 and maybe even 0.8. You want to be careful with that because you don't want to do that for a long term. Uh, It could cause or potentially influence your kidneys, especially if you have uh, family history or propensity for chronic kidney disease or renal failure. Uh, and it can relate to other negative outcomes with cardiovascular health. Uh, however, if you want to get enough protein on a plant-based diet, totally can just ask some of those, you know, athletes out there, bodybuilders that are purely vegan and they have no problem. Uh, and if you don't know who they are, watch the documentary, The Game Changers. There's quite a few in there. Uh, but let me just give you an example. So if you want to eat things like tempeh or legumes or tofu, you're getting anywhere from 10 to 20 grams of protein per serving of those mentioned, okay? Just look at the label and the nutrition facts in the back, and you're going to get plenty of protein from those. If you get, let's say, three to four slices, um, or probably even like two slices of whole grain or whole wheat bread, you're getting 10 to 12 grams of protein right there. You know, slather on some tahini uh, or add some nut butters, and you just bump that up to a 20, 25 gram protein meal. No problem. If you include a meal that has still cut oats in one serving, you're getting about 10 grams of protein, brown rice, seven, broccoli, three, right? So it's pretty easy to get those, you know, grams up pretty fast. Now, if you eat nuts and seeds, think pea for protein, things like pistachios, 30 grams of protein in a serving. Pumpkin seeds, 35 grams of protein in a serving size. And peanuts, similar, about 37 grams of protein. And a third serving size is about the size of your the palm of your hand. It's kind of overflowing a bit. Uh, that's one serving. So you're going to get sufficient amount of protein from those three peas of protein and seeds. Other things can include plant milks, like soy milk. That's going to get you like up to 8 to 10 grams of protein in a half full cup serving, depending on the brand you buy. Now, things like coconut milk, almond milk, and oat milk, not as much. You're going to get more uh, carbohydrates and sugars than you are protein. So I recommend if you want a higher protein concentration, then go to the soy variety. Some people are anti-soy for various reasons, which we'll get into another episode. Uh, But those are your options. You have plenty. Plant milks, nuts and seeds some vegetables, and a ton of legumes and other protein-rich plants. I don't want to forget to mention that you can also get a lot of protein from protein powders derived from plants like pea protein, brown rice protein flour. You have hemp, seed flour, soy bean protein powder, and some that blend the three together. There's lots of options out there. And usually those protein powders are going to have approximately 18 to 25 grams of protein in a serving. And just look out for the other ingredients. A lot of the protein powders out there have other fillers that may or may not be as healthy. So just look out for those. But again, you're going to have no problem getting anywhere from 80 to 120 grams of protein a day, especially if you're concerned by weightlifting or bodybuilding, etc. It should be no problem. 
Uh, so just look at the macros on those nutrition facts and add them up and you should be all good. Myth number six is that eating plant proteins and plants is going to decrease your energy and not going to give you sufficient energy in the day and especially if you're working out. Now, I don't know where this myth came from because it could be farther from the truth. Now, if you eat any kind of unhealthy diet and a processed junk food vegan diet, yeah, of course, it's going to cause metabolic problems for energy. But if you eat a well-planned whole food-based diet, you're going to actually create more energy. Here's why. So when you're eating plants, you're going to have more variety of diverse carbohydrates And carbohydrates are a good thing in this case. They're from whole foods. And those whole food-based carbohydrates are going to help replenish or restore your glycogen. And glycogen, for those who don't know, is a form of energy in your muscles that is going to actually be broken down when you do any kind of workout, whether it's going to be a long run, cardiovascular workout, or lifting weights too. So the Rule of thumb for the maximum number of grams of glycogen you can store is about 400 grams. So if you're doing any kind of long endurance workout, you're going to go through that in about 40 minutes or so, as long as you're running at a decent clip. Uh, So if you're worried about having endurance, you want to make sure that your glycogen stores are up there. And of course, as I mentioned, whole food plants are going to get you a lot of diverse carbohydrates to replenish your carbohydrate stores. Additionally, some other cool research around eating plants uh, actually increases your nitric oxide synthase. Now, that's an enzyme that's going to help create dilation in your blood vessels. That's going to help get more oxygen delivered to those muscles when they're working hard during a workout. And things like uh, beets and celery and other different leafy greens they have these nutrients that have high nitrates that's going to help convert them into this endothelial nitric oxide synthase. Again, that's going to help fuel those muscle cells with more oxygenated blood when you're doing your workouts. So that way you can get the proper amount of oxygen and nutrients like the glucose, blood sugars, and fats to these tissues to convert it to ATB for energy. So again, I don't know where this myth came from, but definitely not not an issue when you're a plant-based eater like myself. Last but not least, myth number seven. Eating plants has too many anti-nutrients creating inflammation, which is going to delay recovery from workouts and get in the way by causing joint and body pain, as well as having soy as a main staple of protein in your diet is going to create more hormonal imbalances because it has phytoestrogens in it. So this is the big one. Uh, this myth is complicated because these anti-nutrients, there's, there's a lot of them. Uh, these anti-nutrients are different plant-based compounds that can interact or interfere with different micronutrients like minerals. I alluded to them earlier talking about oxalates and minerals like iron, uh, but there's a lot more to it. So I recommended listening to my other episode where we go in more depth with Dr. Negra about the other anti-nutrients like phytates, oxalates, etc. We want to talk about those in more detail because I don't think we can do it justice with a three-minute soundbite and talking about them. However, after listening to that episode, it should be pretty clear that these, you know, quote-unquote anti-nutrients in legumes and other plants 
really should be a non-issue as long as you prepare and plan your diet properly. So listen to that episode. Again, it's the anti-nutrients episode with Dr. Negra. As far as soy goes, soy foods, you know, there's a lot of misinformation around soy. So what I'm going to do is actually dedicate my next episode entirely to debunking the myths around soy consumption and health because there's so much involved with it, similar to the anti-nutrients concept, that I want to spend and dedicate enough time to unravel that, you know, really hyperbolized big ball of wax of misinformation around soy. So tune into my next episode where I'll further debunk, demystify the myths around soy consumption. I hope we got enough out of this episode and I certainly hope I cover the bases with misinformation and fake news around plant-based sources of protein. Uh, I don't believe it's an issue. And if you still have any concerns, go to my website, send me an email, let me know your thoughts and questions or concerns. And in fact, if you want to know a little bit more detail about what I already covered today, check out the show notes. I'll cover those bases that we touched on with links to the research articles going in more depth. And if you still have questions, you know where to find me. But until next time, take care and be well. So you've heard the struggles, you've heard the successes, and this episode is done. But there's still so much more to come and so much more to learn. Head on over to pbandhealthy.com and sign up for our newsletter, where you'll receive free plant-based eating health tips and strategies. You can also submit a question for Dr. Travis Cox to answer in a future episode. Go online to pbandhealthy.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Plant-Based and Healthy.